millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. Greetings from Queens, New York, from the spare bedroom of my mother's apartment. Uh, and it's great to be able to introduce Tom Rhodes, a guest on the podcast today, international comedy legend, uh, the most international comedian you could possibly have. He literally didn't keep an apartment for 10 years. It lived out of his suitcase. Uh, I, I go way back with Tom. Originally, I met him through Rich Hall back at the turn of the millennium. And uh, we've met each other on four different continents uh, throughout our careers. And I did his podcast when he was doing my gig in Beijing during my China time. And uh, he's returning the favor. And uh, because he's returning the favor, I am doing him a favor of driving him to the airport, which is where this podcast takes place. I picked him up in Midtown Manhattan last night and drove him to Kennedy Airport, where he was on his way to Ireland. So for our Irish listeners, uh, most of you, <laughs> you can check out Tom at the Go Away Comedy Festival. Those that don't know Tom, uh, he's had a super interesting career. Some of you may know him because he's a regular on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, some of you may know him from his near catastrophic rise to fame in America in the mid-90s, which took a turn uh, and led him to becoming a superstar uh, chat show host in the Netherlands. And as I said, then... For a long period of time, just traveling around the world, gigging wherever there is comedy. However, our chat begins after um, after some niceties with some pretty honest uh, realizations and experiences that Tom had had a result of double double grief uh, and giving up drinking and uh, very very uh, honest chat with Tom about. A sort of a spiritual rock bottom that he has had over the last few years and uh, I myself can see a change in him and uh, it was interesting to hear him talk about it and uh, then we talk about his amazing career and we finish up with some Trump stuff so stick around for the whole chat longer than normal as uh, as the drive took that long and uh, I hope you enjoy it and uh, I'll be back after the chat ladies and gentlemen Tom Rhodes on our way to the airport well, you said that you record your podcast in your car Commonly, yeah. while you're driving around. And I said, why don't you drive me to the airport? Bingo, <laughs> man. But the fact that you're going to Ireland is just so nice. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited because I haven't been to Ireland in two years. And, and Galway is my favorite place in Ireland. And that's where you're going. I'm going to do the Galway Caravan Festival or whatever. It's Carnival. It's, it's their international comedy festival. Yeah. So I'm just making sure we're recording. Oh, but so... Now, you've done that festival before, right? I did it three years ago. Yeah, and then I played for Kevin Healy many times. At, played for at, and with. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the Roshan Dub. Now, is this, is, this, uh, is this your first time going back to Ireland with the non-boozing situation? No, uh, no, I went back. Yeah, I guess I went back like right after I had stopped drinking. All right, so okay. Uh, when, yeah, the first festival I did. So, yeah, I guess it's been... Hmm. Yeah. 
like it's still great fun but i just sometimes pe- you know sometimes people forget that their memories are uh, of a different time in no, their life no and one of the reasons i love ireland is because people drink so much and i've always been a heavy drinker so yeah. um but i discovered the last time that it is possible to enjoy the place without being fucking smashed every night even in the in the the care of kevin healy <laughs> yeah yeah like, uh, uh, historically a fantastic uh man for taking people down uh, different roads <laughs> well you know the story that i i got into a fist fight at supermax in galway oh uh, nearly happened to me too completely so it was on my honeymoon uh my my little sister i had a couple tragic events um well, I was going to ask you if you wanted to talk about them, but anyway. Yeah, man, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it helped my development as a human being. My, my father was killed by a drunk driver in 2009, and it was this rich guy who got off on a light probation, and he worked for, he was a, a religious guy. He worked for the Trinity Broadcasting Company, which is the largest Christian television channel in the world. So the money that old women send to that channel is what paid for this guy's defense that got him off. So and he's unlikable before you even told me that he killed your father. Yeah. So <laughs> which is terrible. So after so this guy killed my father and I just had this fucking rage. I've always been like a really nice guy and I just You found went, this anger rose up in I you. Just anger came in me and I just fantasized about finding this guy and and um, Oh really? You had and, like vengeance and and, and, and and hurting him. And then a year and a half later, my little sister, who I was very close with, I had two jock, thug, goon, older brothers who beat the shit out of me all the time. So it was me and my sister, were always me and her against them. And we were right. like artsy and into comedy and theater and movies and music and stuff. So she had stage four breast cancer for three and a half years. And I was supposed to get married on April 22nd. On April 19th, they said she's got 24 hours to live. Oh. And... I didn't want her to miss it, and I uh, and I, my sister always wanted to see me settle down. So I turned to my my uh, wife, almost wife, Ashna, and said, um, "Do you want to get married at Laura's hospital bedside?" Oh my God! You think? And she said, "Oh my God, of course." Uh, which I think says a lot about my wife, and I, I credit her being a European woman. She's from Holland. Because I think a lot of American women would have went, you know, I'm not ruining my fucking special yeah, day. Yeah, there's a sacrifice involved you know? in her act. Uh, so, and you know, because she did this beautiful act with me, it's difficult to get angry at my wife. You know, when I get mad at my wife, it's like, you fucking, thank you. <laughs> um, but it was really Oh, beautiful. so you had the bedside wedding. Yeah, man. I mean, I've and, seen and, and some, I've seen some tear jerky. I've seen some tear jerky YouTube There's clips. Never, you've never seen a more uh, tear-filled uh, wedding than this, especially from me. I was like, I do, oh, yeah. just wailing, uh, just sorrow and grief, and 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 doctors and, and, and happiness. No, no, and it was also very beautiful. Oddly, well, you're getting uh, married, you know. But my my sister clapped. And she said congratulations through her breathing mask. And it turned out to be the last word she ever spoke. Oh, my God. Yeah. It just fucking couldn't have been more heartbreaking. So uh, the doctors and nurses were all gathered at the door. And, you know, friends and family were all, like, crammed into this little room. And um, I, after that, I was really angry. I was angry. So after my dad was killed, I was angry at the drunk driver. After... 
my sister died, I was angry at God. You know? Yeah, just uh, yeah, angry at the I, whole thing. I, I, the fucking universe. And yeah. I grew up Catholic. My family are really hardcore Christians. And, um, you know, I've, you know, always uh, believed in prayer and all that kind of stuff. And I thought uh, the big dick in the sky really let me down mm. by taking that's the, the two I mean, people I love the most in the world. So Really quickly. Like, like yeah, in terms of close well, a year succession. and a half. So then, and then I had set up these gigs in, you know, I, I've been playing Ireland like uh, every year for like 20 years. Ireland has been one of the greatest supporters of me mm. my entire career. Playing the Laughter Lounge in Dublin and Kevin Healy doing the Roshan dub. And I used to do, what was it, the old uh, uh, OPO or GPO? The GPO. The oh, you did GPO that. That was pre-Kevin Healy. Well, that yeah. was Kevin. Sorry, Kevin owned the club. He Kevin, wasn't yeah. promoting the gig. But that's actually. when I met him was yeah. when he worked at the GPO. So I used to do that gig with like Phil Jupitus and different people. And um, so I had set up, you know, we were going to get married. And then I set up. You know, I'll do these gigs in Ireland. We'll go to Ireland for our honeymoon. So, you know, I'm absolutely... It wasn't the, you know, I wasn't in the cheery disposition that I had envisioned myself to be. Uh, we, we arrived early. We flew in and then we went uh, went down to Galway, rented a car. Oh, no, I did a gig in Cork first and then we rented a car in Cork. And we were going to go straight down south. There was some seaport village that's supposed to be very nice but they had the rugby on oh the kinsale sevens some big fucking yeah thing so so so, so this was like april into may right this is like right after you april got is when i got married yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. immediately after yeah end of april um so, so yeah you were supposed to so go the, to kinsale but so it then we decide well you know um i i we, we went we went to carry i know the ring of carry is a big thing we drove that but what we liked even more was the ring of dingle Yes. We drove the ring of dingle. That was phenomenal. And then we get to Galway and, you know, and I was still drinking heavily at the time. And now I'm really medicating myself with the booze. Mm. And yeah, you are you aware of it at this stage? That no, you're no, actually, no. I didn't realize it until until um, a few years later. But I mean, because yeah. I've always been a heavy drinker, but I didn't realize now I was really knocking it down. And. Kevin Healy's from a big family, and his brother lives in Arizona. He's an architect. And he was back in Galway visiting. By the way, I don't want to distract you with the fucking... Look at that view. <laughs> wow. So, just for the record, we're driving over the, the 59th Street Bridge, and Manhattan is looking mighty fine tonight. Yeah, yeah and the East River's got this kind of cobalt blue... Yeah, um, yeah it's dusk. Just like magnetic glow because the, the, the sun has just set. It's a great city. Like, at these moments, you go, wow, this fucking thing is amazing. Yeah, that's stunning. So, anyway, so I didn't mean to distract no, you. But no, I knew you were going to get no, distracted I, anyway. For the listener, very crucial information. <laughs> um, and that's what I'm looking at as I speak. Um, so... Kevin's brother was visiting from Arizona and it had been like five years since he had been back home in Galway. So me and Ashna and Kevin and his, his brother David are, you know, we're, we're drinking and then it's like one o'clock in the morning and they're hungry and, you know, where else are you going to eat in Ireland when, you, when you're drunk and it's one o'clock in the morning? We go to Supermax. <laughs> uh, not the one on the main square by the train station. Oh, the not one, that one? The small one that's close to Roshan Dub. Oh, okay. So we go in there, and then there's these, like, four big rugby jock dicks. Yeah. And one of them was a British guy. 
And he was the guy that was stirring the shit. And he's he keeps fucking with Kevin. He keeps going, ah, you don't need any food. You're fat already. Oh. And Kevin is like really funny and jovial. And he keeps laughing this guy off. He keeps going, what are you talking about? I'm an athlete. I got my body just where I want it. Yeah, yeah. He keeps saying like he's just so charming and funny. The guy's got no in yeah. to like fucking uh, start a fight. And then me and Kevin and Ashna, we get our food and we're out. And then Kevin's brother David is still in there having words with these guys. Oh. And then all at once, we see through the glass door, all four of them jump on Dave and start pounding him. Oh, Jesus. And Kevin runs back in to help his brother. And I'm not a fighter at all, but I'm not going to watch you know, my friend or his brother get his ass beat. So it's really funny. I turn to my wife and I go, it's Kevin, baby. I'm going in. <laughs> And, 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 you know, another thing, in retrospect, that was a very crucial part. This is my honeymoon. Yeah. It was a very crucial moment in our wedding because, like, had I been a coward at that moment and just, like, stayed outside? Imagine, like, you know, what a pussy my wife would have thought she married. Yeah, I mean. You know? So I run in, and honestly, the fight was over when, by the time I got in there, Kevin and, and Dave had body slammed him and, you know, uh pushed him against the wall and stuff but I so I run in and I'm just like all this emotion that I've been experiencing you know my sister dying and uh you know I, I was holding her hand as she died I, I I you know I could kind of feel the soul leave her yes, body yes yes and I haven't punched anyone in 20 years and then the English guy who had started all this shit is kind of standing in the middle of the room of the supermax and i come in and i fucking punch this guy in the face and i haven't punched anybody in 20 years so i really don't know how to do it i punched the guy in the cheek and i <laughs> broke my uh my, the 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 finger next to the pinky yeah your ring snapped finger snapped it the ring finger on the on my right hand and cuz i punched him in the cheek which is all bone always go for the nose Soft or the time. mouth you know cuz it's going to it's going to shoot pain up into their eyes, and then there's going to usually be a big blood effect. Yeah. You know, um, more than likely. So then the, the and then the, the cops are on the way, and we get we, we rush out of there like nothing happened, and we're walking up the street, and then these, these um, four cops, three men, one woman, go, hey, hey, where are you going? And then they bring us back in, and then they get the whole story. And the manager of the Supermax said these guys were starting shit. These guys were looking for a fight, and they were fucking people with people the, the, previously. You're talking about yeah, the, 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 yeah. The so he's he's ratting cops. out the actual guys, yeah. So the so the cop says, listen, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna let you guys all leave tonight, but if um, anybody wants to press charges, you can come to the police station next day. Yeah, they the do next that a day, lot. and then we will review the CCTV footage. And take it from there. And, of course, these guys aren't going to want to review the tape. But they were asking for their IDs. And one of the guys got surly, and he wouldn't give them their information. He wouldn't say his name or anything. And very casually, this female cop came up behind him and fucking body slammed him, his torso, onto the bolted table of the Supermax. I mean, she fucking slammed this dude down. It was beautiful. And she said, okay, then, you're coming, you know, Yeah, you want to do it that way? That's it. And uh, it, it was pretty ballsy, because I think the guy was showing her a little disrespect because she was a woman, and um, she certainly straightened his she ass out. She let him out. know. So then I go she to... She did a Hillary on him. 
Yeah, <laughs> Hillary's the man. So I go to Dublin. That was like a, you know, fucking whatever that. No, that was the the gig. Then the next day I had to go to the emergency room. and, and that, This and, is for your hand. In Galway, yeah. And uh, they wanted to put pins in it, and I declined. And my I've never been able to snap properly since then. And you then. were a snapper. I had a great snap. You were a snapper. I had a really strong, powerful snap. Um, so then I go to Dublin, and on the weekend, and I'm seeing my buddy Keith Farnan uh, get together with, he's yeah, married Keith, now. I was in college with him. Just, just, just to put in a bit college? of context. We were in college together. No shit. Years before. He, Did you do he, the anti-death penalties? No, no. This is years before he wanted to do comedy. This is when he was in the drama society and studying law. I mean, he was a lawyer. But anyway, that's that's right. A, that's, I know he was really into the trying to innocence prevent project. The, yeah. yeah, he was. He was an innocence project intern. But anyway, that that's a digression. So I, I we're uh, Ashin and I are having dinner with uh, he and his uh, she's now his wife but yes. at the time was his girlfriend Ginny, and I'm telling him the whole story about uh, my you know how my dad had died and my my sister had died and and uh, and and that we had just gotten married at her hospital bedside before she died, and Keith Farnan goes, you know what I think, Tom, I think you wanted to punch God in the face and God wasn't available. And that's why you punched that guy. And I think he's absolutely fucking correct. He was correct. spot on. He nailed it. And uh, so if that guy ever hears this podcast, I want him to know, I'm sorry, I was really wanting to punch God in the face. <laughs> God was my target. <laughs> God, you prick. But so, so th- th- but that wasn't why you gave up booze, right? No, well, you know, my sister never did drugs or drank to excess um, I was the unhealthy one of the family I've been smoked two packs of cigarettes a day for 30 years heavy drinker uh, give me the drugs was always my philosophy yeah uh, it still took me a couple years to um, you know watching her die of cancer made me think this is I really life or death I need to to um, to, to kick the cigs and I was drunk in Philadelphia and I blacked out and I fell off of a bar stool and I busted my head open and I got six stitches on my forehead. And the last few years I had been drinking, I was, wasn't as good at it anymore. Uh, I would get drunk quicker. I was getting, my dad had this white alcoholic, um, booze face with the booze nose. You see like, uh, Caucasian men when they get up into their fifties and sixties, who have been heavy drinkers their whole life, and they got that kind of fat, alcoholic, white guy face. Yeah. I was getting that fat, white guy, alcoholic face. And I was always a decent-looking guy. And the next day, I woke up, and I saw so much ugliness in the mirror. I had these Frankenstein stitches on my forehead. I had a black eye. And I just thought, you know, that's it. I'm done. Oh, really? I said, I want to go one year seeing what it's like not being drunk every night. So I went one year without drinking, and I loved it, and I got a lot of things done. And it's also very powerful not to drink, because people give away all of their secrets when they're drunk. And my uh, password I use for all my computer accounts is this. My mother's maiden name is this. My bank account number is this. People just like tell you every detail about their life when they're had a couple of drinks. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually very powerful not to, to drink. Uh, but then it, it took a few years, um, and then it, then it was like a year and a half later after I stopped drinking that I could finally 
kick the cigarettes. But that oh, was, you you have kicked them? I stopped. I've, I'm a year and a half off the cigs oh, now. Oh, I thought you were smoking last night outside, but you were just chatting to somebody that was smoking. No, I wasn't smoking. Oh, I didn't right. realize that. I have not smoked in a year and a half. Oh, dude, you really healthied up. Yeah, and it's great. I feel like I just joined the human race recently. But what about the stink. anger, though? What about the... Because... Like, uh, it's boot- a little better. I mean, I... Um, I hope I can fi- find forgiveness for the guy that killed my father one day, but I no longer fantasize about pummeling his face. So yeah, that's kind of like forgiveness, progress. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess the, no. I mean, listen. Uh, the the violent fantasies of of uh, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I mean, attacking that's a strong, him have gone. That's I mean, that's a strong thing. I mean, that's like that that death penalty thing and that people need closure. You know, that sense of something needs to happen. That sense of retribution. But at the end of the day, did you ever ponder that? Like, what would I get really if I? If, if I well, could I mean, inflict- it's just being a comedian, man. You can't let hate in your life, yeah. and then as a comedian, you know, seriousness is like arthritis, and uh-huh. that shit gets out of control, and you know, you're out of the business. And it was really hard to write jokes and be funny for like two years after really? my sister died. Um, unfortunately, I've I've got like tons of material because I've been a comedian for you know thirty years, but. Um, only in the last few years am I feeling jovial and happy again and and producing uh funny original thoughts again it was a it was a very difficult couple years for me yeah and do you think it was more the grief or the anger or just the whole package uh I probably the whole package you know um you know it's when you lose a parent or just any loved one like your sibling that you love uh, the and it, it's not depression. It's is a huge difference, and I never realized it until I experienced it. It was grief and sorrow. Yeah, is what I was experiencing. And when you have that kind of pain in your life, like real fucking pain, uh, and you look back on uh, heartbreak pain, like when you were like tore up over a, a love story, some girlfriend that didn't yeah. work out, it's fucking laughable. You're like, man, that wasn't pain. Yeah, except that it was. You know, like everything's oh, yeah. I, relative. You know, I was depressed for a year over some chick. Yeah, I know. You know, it's amazing. But that, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing to compare the two because they're all real. They're just different levels of of reality. I mean, I like obviously I lost my dad, but I, I I think there's something particularly painful. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's something more difficult about a tragic sudden loss like you had with your dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You you had no time to prepare, and it feels like an injustice. Yeah. You know, I so I I've always been kind of weirdly grateful. In fact, I, I was talking about this last night with Dimitri Martin because he lost his dad to cancer. But uh, the, I was oddly grateful that the the thing about cancer is it gave me that time, so I was able to maybe get a jump on dealing with some of the stuff that you've been talking about. You know. Yeah. Um. And I would have hated to throw in uh, a drunk driver. Yes, I would have or hated a, to throw yeah. in a, or a, a, a villain thug that like fucking yeah hit him over the head with or a malpractice brick or, or yeah. something. You know, just some sense of it shouldn't be this way. Human error. Yeah. So I can appreciate how that would have killed your your sense of humor. Yeah, and I was really humor. close with my dad. My dad was the reason I was a comedian. My dad uh, had tons of comedy albums. 
My dad loved Richard Pryor. I remember being a little kid driving around with my dad listening to Pryor cassettes. Yeah. My dad took me to my first comedy show. My really? Fa- my family's originally from Washington, D.C. And my uncle did open mic nights for one year, 1978. I was 11 years old. And my dad took me to see him. I'm 11. Who Your takes- uncle? Yeah, my dad took me to watch see my uncle do the open mic night. And, uh, <laughs> you know, who takes 11-year-old kids to bars? Yeah, to open um, mic nights. <laughs> yeah. So we go in, and the entrance was next to the stage, and the show had already started. And I was wearing a Washington Redskins jacket. And the comedian on stage pulled me on stage, and he interviewed oh, me wow. like I was the coach of the Redskins. <laughs> and I was he 11. He fucking improvised with you at 11 years old. I'm 11. I gave, like, one-word, dopey, bashful kid answers. You know, yes, no. But I'll never forget standing on that stage and seeing all those happy people with their heads thrown back in laughter and all the teeth in their mouth, and that's the moment that changed my life. I knew exactly what I wanted to do from that day forward, and I've never considered anything else. I became a student of comedy. From a young age. At a young age, and then I would keep notebooks and write jokes. In high school, I did like the talent shows, I hosted the pep rallies, and I started being a comedian when I was 17. Uh, I had a fake ID. And my father drove me to my first open mic night. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and then, like, and then like when I had my sitcom on. But he NBC. had good taste. He had good taste too. Obviously, yeah. you listen to Richard Pryor and. Yeah, my dad. You know, my dad was a Vietnam veteran. He flew helicopters. He was shot down. Everyone died except for him and his co-pilot. So my dad had like kind of a dark, twisted sense of humor, alongside a um, innate silliness. But. Um, uh, you know, I had a sitcom on NBC for a year, and my dad sat in the front row at every taping. Really? Yeah, I was I was just really really close with my dad, so um, you know, it was painful. Yeah, I can see then, particularly with that, how it would be tough to be funny when there's such a connection to him and what you do. And but anyway, I guess the I guess the more important thing is that you have to keep being funny in in his honor. Yeah. You know, that's well, the, and most the great thing now about the fact that I stopped doing drugs and I stopped drinking. Look at this cock. Yeah, I know. It's like what a cock. It, yeah, and we're in a really good conversation. I got to fucking deal with this prick. What a fuck come on. It. Let's be real, New York, about it. You what, fucking asshole. What an absolute <laughs> cock. The guy just just pulls across the front. Inched his way, pulled into the intersection. It wasn't his turn to go, <laughs> and. You refuse to make eye contact with anyone, so that makes it okay and just. Luckily, we left early for the airport because uh, there's quite a lot of traffic. That guy's lucky. I've resolved my anger. Yeah, yeah. This guy could have been. <laughs> this guy could have been filling in for God with his nose <laughs> right now. <laughs> but the great thing about the fact that I've I've stopped drinking and I've stopped doing drugs is now it's I've found myself in a very interesting place in life that. Uh, comedy is the drug mm-hmm. again, like when I was 17, when mm. I started. It, you know, those first few years, everything is pure, and it's all about the jokes. And you feel and, the nerves more, right? And yeah. You, you, feel, and so the, it's you like, feel the highs more. I get my high on stage now, uh, which, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I always thought I was one of the Rolling Stones or something, and uh, just partying every night after shows and... You know, having um, random sex with um, 
Women. Yeah, you, you did the whole thing. I've feasted from the banquet, shall we yeah. say. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've had an interesting career in the sense that, I mean, I, it's weird that I've known you as long as I've known you because I haven't seen you that often in yeah, those you, years. But, but, but it's it, interesting, like the times I've seen you, like I think we met in Ireland. No, we met, uh, would you believe, the first time we met, it was in uh, Croydon. At the Croydon up the creek. Are you serious? Yeah, Rich Hall introduced me to you, and we had a chat on the stairs. Wow. And we kind of made a. That's where we made our first connection. Wow. Which which was. I remember that club. Yeah, I think wow. it was. Uh, East I, I, Croydon. I, I, I think it was pre nine eleven, but yeah. I mean it was it was it was. But, it was pre nine eleven. Yeah. So anyway, it goes back. Yeah, I was in, you in Ireland, and I came over and did the your uh, your Beijing gig. We did that together. Yeah, and I saw you in um, in Amsterdam. Saw you in but, Edinburgh, but but anyway, the reason That's why amazing. So, the, through, uh, so you've also had an interesting career, not the typical yes, no path, diff- yeah. And then so the different times in our lives, we've seen each other in different places all over the world, yeah, with different things going on. Very. But the uh, one thing that always stood out for me, particularly in those early days, was you were somebody who nearly exploded in the United States. And then became like a massive celebrity in Holland. And it was like, that's not the normal story. Yeah. You know, that's pretty interesting that yeah. you, you had like two incredible moments in two different places. And then when I, well, when I met you, you just finished. No, you were still living in Holland when I met you first. Still yeah. living in the Netherlands. So that is a pretty amazing thing to have experienced. Yeah. So, what, do you want me to talk about? Well, them? I mean, I'm, I, I've never, ever, <laughs> I've never, ever talked to you about the NBC thing. Okay. I only get that sort of secondhand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, I, I lived in San Francisco for seven years in the '90s when I was in my 20s, and that's where I got great as a comedian. And I did all those shows, Evening at the Improv, Caroline's, MTV Comedy Half Hour. I did like oh, three, wow. three of those. Oh, so this is the this is that late '80s boom, right? Was that? Yeah, well, the be- it was the early '90s. Early '90s, right? And, so that was still uh, going down. All and those. I had really long hair, and I was skinny and sexy. And, yeah, you were a good-looking fella. I looked at a picture once. And then um, Comedy Central, I was like the face of the network. Uh, for the first few years, Comedy Central was on. Yeah. And I signed a deal. Um, it was the first development deal in the history of Comedy Ch- Comedy Central. And um, I got to do everything for them. I covered the Super Bowl and the Dream Team. I went on tour with um, the Horde Festival, which was like the Black Crows and Sheryl Crow and wow. Ziggy Marley. And just filmed all these things for the channel. And then... Uh, Vietnam had just opened up for Americans to travel there. Bill Clinton lifted the ban the way Obama just lifted the ban on Cuba. Yeah. And I pitched this idea to Comedy Central about me going to Vietnam and making this, um, like, uh, travel documentary about Vietnam. And yeah. get, I would have fun for the guys who went there and didn't get to have fun. Right. So Viva Vietnam came on April 95 to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the end of the Vietnam War. So that kind of, I got it got very nice critical uh, reviews uh, that I had made this really nice, you know, kind of tribute special to my father and, and, and Vietnam. Yeah. And so that was April 95, and then July 95, I did 
the Montreal Festival, and I was the bell of the ball. You, you killed it. Killed it. So then there was a bidding war with NBC and Fox and HBO. HBO was just offering a special. Um, and actually, Fox had offered more money, but I took the deal with NBC because I had grown up watching Saturday Night Live, Johnny Carson, David Letterman, all, yeah. these, all these. I thought NBC was the home of American comedy. So the show that I originally wanted to make was I was going to be a public defender lawyer, the voice of the voiceless, and that I would get my comedy out, so to speak, um, in the courtroom. Right, okay. And then like six months before we're going to do the pilot, they said, we just had a lawyer show fail. Can you make Tom a teacher? Jeez. And who knew that year... Four other teacher shows were coming on. Well, like head of the class. There was uh, Nick Frino, Steve Harvey. There was like there was like four teacher shows that came on that year. So that was um, kind of fucked. And then the pilot. Everybody loved the pilot. There was they took four of my jokes in the pilot. And then when the they made the season, when we were doing the regular season, the focus became on the kids. And then ah. I felt I felt like the second banana on yeah. my own show. And so I had the long hair, and everything was just these long hair jokes at me. Hey, Fabio. Hey, Cream Rinse. Hey, Kenny G. And it was so stupid because, like, you know, I didn't grow my hair because of fucking Kenny G or Fabio. I grew my hair because that was you. Uh, I loved Native Americans. It was more like, you know, Jim Morrison and yeah, cra- yeah, yeah, Crazy yeah. Horse and Sitting Bull and, uh, and shit like that. And... I grew my hair because I didn't want a sitcom. In the 80s, every comedian tried to be clean cut because they wanted a, a yeah. sitcom. I just wanted to be the greatest comedian alive. So, you know, I, I didn't move to Los Angeles. I moved to San Francisco and I grew my hair long. So that was really, I was pissed. Um, I, I, well, I, I lived on top of the Hollywood Hills. So you were living the dream, though. Yeah, I had tons of cash. Lived uh, with a beautiful actress on top of the Hollywood Hills. Had a view of all the lights of Los Angeles. And all we did was walk around naked drinking wine from goblets. And then (laughs) when the show ended, all of that ended. And uh, showbiz kind of went ice cold on me. Oh, is that right? So you had that experience? Yeah, man. People I thought were my friends. uh, Even my own manager. People stopped taking my call, which... Uh, will hurt your feelings. Yeah, man. I, don't I care. mean, I think America has that in it more than perhaps the European industry. Yeah, and so I, I had lived in New York City like a dog when I was twenty, and I always swore if I had any money, I'd live here in style. So I moved back to New York, and I got a rock star apartment in the Wall Street area. And this is before September 11th, so it was a ghost town. Yeah, down there, it was great. I used to rollerblade at night around around the, the empty in, around the streets, empty buildings yeah. in the streets, Trinity was, Street, and all that. It was great, and the World Trade Center and um, Battery Park and all that stuff. So I was also partying very hard. Oh, but it, so here's the thing: I looked at my money that I had from the sitcom, aside from getting this rock star apartment, and then focusing on the New York clubs, and that's why I'm still. That's have, why you can still. That's come why down. I can still come back now. Because when I lived here, 98, 99, you know, I was doing the cellar when it was half empty and you could still sure. smoke in there. And it was a, it, it, it could be tough sometimes. Yeah, I went in there to watch. people heckling and shit. I went in there to watch and David Tell would be dying on his ass. But yeah. the more he died, the funnier he got as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Tell I've, uh, at the cellar is 
uh, one of the purest, yes. greatest um, things you can experience in comedy. So I looked at my money as my NBC artist grant, and then I started making trips to London. And with the help of my great old friend, Rich Hall, who I took with me to Vietnam. Oh, really? To make v- I could take one writer with me. And Rich was a friend of mine, and I had Rich come with me. And it was beneath him at the time to do it. But uh, he wanted to go to Vietnam, and he wanted to help me. So uh, he's been a great friend to me for years. So Rich coached me on how to get in with London. You don't go to the comedy store and the best clubs first. You go to the peripheral rooms, and then you get your sea legs, and you yeah. find out what works and what doesn't, you know? Yeah. So... Uh, you know, like I made a trip out and did sets around London at the peripheral clubs before I ever came and 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 did uh, the comedy store and these other places. So I got in with the comedy store, got in with, uh, you know, Jonglers yeah, and Camden the, and uh, the Birmingham gig and all, all the, these yeah. all these these London gigs. And then and then I started doing gigs all over England. And and then I, and that led to gigs all over Europe. And then I met a Dutch girl in Amsterdam and I fell in love with her, and I I moved to Amsterdam. Just amazing, like, yeah, from from an NBC sitcom to Amsterdam, it's just you'd never guess that fucking arc, yeah, that journey. But then you became famous in fucking the Netherlands. Well, so I was with that girl for two years, and I was, you know, and I I, 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 I was I was constantly traveling and doing gigs all over Europe, and that's when I I started playing Ireland, like, around ninety. Around that time, too. Probably 99. Yeah, 99, 2000, I think. Yeah. I think 99 was the first time I went to Ireland. And then, so then I, you know, playing Ireland once a year, partying, playing all over England, all over Europe, and then, you know, gigs in Asia, and then coming back to do gigs in the States. Uh, I was gone a lot. So this girl dumped me. And we had, I, I was living with her in Amsterdam for two years. And I was just about to move back to the United States when these people from this Dutch television network were looking for an American to host a late night talk show like David Letterman. And they had the audition at Tumblr. And uh, I got the job. They, they um, you know, um, I had just gotten back from Hong Kong and I had a suit tailored. And all, <laughs> yes, and really- all the other comedians looked like shit. And you came in sharp as shit? I, lo- I looked like a fucking television host when I arrived. So I'm, I, I, I suspect that may have had something to do with it, but I did have uh, one of the best sets that night as well. Oh, so the audition was stand-up? Yeah, it was stand-up. And then Tumblr was my home in Amsterdam. Um, I, Tumblr is how I first went to Holland to do gigs, in, and the, the girl I fell in love with was a waitress there. So uh, a lot of great things in my life have come from that club Tumblr in Amsterdam. So then... Uh, you know, me and the girl broke up and then I started doing the television show and I had the, I did three seasons of the late night talk show, which lasted a little more than two years, the way the Dutch seasons work. Yeah. And then if that was not fortuitous enough, when that ended the same network, let me be a presenter on a travel program for one year. So I was on television for three years in Holland. And then on the travel show, I did a highlight on St. Petersburg, Russia, Peru, the Champagne region of France, the uh, eastern coastal beaches of France, the Dutch Caribbean, 
wow. just I, I had this absolute dream life. So that was like a land on your feet situation. in Holland. Yeah. Sorry, if I'm distracted, it's because I'm doing a little bit of lane changing. I don't want people to think that I've lost my train of thought in our interview, but I had to get onto the uh, as your passenger, the I, Van Wick Express. I appreciate the con- I appreciate the concentration that you uh, that I put into that employed. lane change there. You know, I had to check my blind spot uh, and uh, make sure. So just just for a sense of place, we've just got on the Van Wick Expressway because we're on our way to Kennedy Airport so Terminal we're in Four. Now? Oh, we've been in Queens since we got off the 59th Street Bridge. So where are we close to where you're from? Uh, we're about five miles from where I'm from. Okay. Uh, we we sort of turned. We were we were on the way to where to where I was from, and now we've turned off at the head. So towards. I guess you know, like, as you went to Ireland and you had this great television career there. Yeah, but the I diff- went to Holland. A, yeah, there's a little difference. I went to Ireland to go to boarding school. I became a comedian in Ireland. My entire comedy career on. Uh, you know the mar the the most of my comedy career has been in Ireland, so it's a little different in that, you you know you were you were, uh, you were already a, a comedy superstar okay. slash veteran by the time you ended up doing these other things. But you know? we're we're both pretty unique in that regard that we had yeah, yeah, these yeah. experiences. But there's also another that a small country loved us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we big fish in small ponds. But listen, better than being a dead fish on the fucking sidewalk. Is that an expression you've used before? No, I used that when I left New York City to move to Amsterdam. Uh, that is the epiphany that I had. That uh, I would rather be a big fish in a small pond than a dead fish on the fucking sidewalk. Yeah, well, good point. But also, you know, uh, the other thing that uh, I think is somewhat similar is, I mean, you're a little older than me, but I have now found myself through no decision of my own you know, nearly 41, not married, you know, sort of moving around a lot. Uh, and uh, so th- th- we have that in common also. But sometimes I wonder, is it unhealthy? I mean, you've kind of just sort of recently found yourself. So I don't think so, because I think as a comedian, your experiences are um, your currency. What you, you know, uh, where you find your, your inspiration for jokes and stuff. So I think yeah. traveling and moving around a lot. Is going to give you that. Yeah, I know, but I, I yeah, but I, I mean, there's got to be more to your life than co- like you can't rationalize every, uh, every aspect of life by how good it is for your comedy. You know what I mean? I'm, by the way, I'm not challenging no? you on that. <laughs> you, you think you- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Which you told me that 20 years ago. <laughs> well, you know, I mean... Everything I've ever done was for comedy. 
Yeah, well, it is that type of job. I mean, it comes up a lot on this podcast, the the sacrifices one makes, you know, for this job in terms of your well-being. In fact, I think I've mentioned that on every single podcast that we come to, th- th- there seems to be a point in every chat that I've had with a comedian where we, there's a realization that at times it feels like this isn't that good for your mental health. Well, when you're, you know, you're partying and you're getting wrecked every night. Um, yeah. Yeah, but there's just highs and lows, too, and a lot of odd personalities. I mean, look, there's office politics in every job. I get that. You know, people's, there's people and personalities and, uh, and all, you know, awkward human beings in every walk of life. Well, the but, thing that I always say is uh, I'm a big fan of Muhammad Ali, and I always tell young comedians uh, one of the most important aspects of being a comedian is you have to be your own best corner man. The way Muhammad Ali had Bundini Brown in his corner, right. that's the guy who coined the phrase float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Bundini Brown was was Ali's corner man forever. So you have to be that guy for your own self. In your own head, in the back of your brain, you got to constantly be keeping yourself from collapsing uh, on uh, or being on the edge of uh, disaster. You know, keep sticking, champ. Stay in there. No, you're great. You're great. You know, keep throwing. Keep your head in there. Keep your chin up. Yeah. Keep your head down. And you just... There's just so much to deal with, you know. So, uh, fucking uh, rejection and uh, asshole other comedians who who, who fucking um, you know uh, want to you know fuck with your head or yeah, something. or manipulate you or make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So, so what round are you in? Oh, good. Hmm. I don't know. I've been a comedian for 32 years. I'm 39. I'm 49. I started when I was 17. So I'd say the 12th. Maybe? A 15-round fight? 20. Or a 12-round flight? Nah. We're, I don't know. 15-round fight. We're in a 15-round fight. All this, right. Then I'm in career. the 10th round. You're in the 10th. Yeah. And and how do you feel? How do you feel you're doing? I, I feel great, man. I've never been sharper. I think... Yeah. Uh, you know, clarity is a drug unto itself. I did, well, when I'm on stage now, you know, I've I've got this Rolodex of jokes in my head and stories I've experienced. And my favorite part of every show is asking people if there's anyone from another country, because I have a joke or a story about almost everywhere. Because yeah, you've been everywhere, man. I've performed on every continent except for Africa and Antarctica. Oh, you haven't done the South African festival? No, never. Yeah. If anyone from South Africa is listening. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would have thought you would have Have you been. done it? No, I've never done I haven't done it either. I haven't been on the continent of Africa. I haven't set foot on it. I did that Seychelles gig in April, which is technically part of Africa. Um, but it's it wasn't on the continent, so I wouldn't count it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. That's just my phone. Well, That's probably I, uh, updates. I turned off my phone. I know. Like I meant, I just... I, I, and I, I made a big showing of it too. I, you you made a big a, a big point of it. But before I, was, I got in the car, I, said, I was Let setting me turn off my phone. Well, I was so setting it doesn't up. disturb the recording. <laughs> well, I was setting up. I, I don't worry too much about the recording being disturbed when you got people fucking honking and road rage and lane changes. I figure it's never going to be like a totally you know chilled out thing. I don't even know where the phone is to turn it off anyway. So uh, plus, I've only got the one. I've only got the one hand, so I don't want to turn this into too dangerous a drive. But, you know, I do think that um, 
you know, in terms of the fight. You know, different people have different career trajectories. But, you know, yours has been a real good fight to watch, you know, because it hasn't just been like fucking Tyson first round, bang. You know, it's been real like, <laughs> you know, Tom has really, you know, dominated the early rounds, but he had a tough time in the middle. But it looks yeah. like it looks like he's going to take it on points here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, I like... You know, I did have some tough middle rounds. That's a good good analogy. Well, I'm only I'm only fucking jumping on your. No, I like it. No, because now I'm like, uh, I'm I like I said at the beginning of the podcast. I feel like I just joined the human race a couple years ago, because you know I'm not like partying and drunk all the time. And then also I don't stink now when I'm around people who are like heavy smokers. Oh, it does. It's smelly. I'm like, Holy fuck! Did I stink like that? And like, uh, I was always I've I've, I've always. Uh, I've never had too much trouble with the ladies And um, uh, I can't imagine The fact that I stunk so bad That such that they tolerated High quality women tolerated uh, Such an odorific Yeah man. well if they were a smoker too I guess it doesn't bother Not all them. of them Not all yeah I know it's That's an odd thing The smoking thing is an odd one In terms of the, the smell um, But you also now You also have an apartment I mean, you literally didn't have an you literally didn't have a base. Yeah, I didn't live anywhere for ten years. So I so I lived in Amsterdam for five years. I was on television for three, and then when all that stuff ended, I moved back to Los Angeles. I put everything into storage for five years when I lived in Amsterdam. Got it out. Lived in L.A. for two years, but now I had started doing the international circuits, and I was going to Australia once a year. I'd go to Ireland once a year, and you know. London, Amsterdam, just all these great cities all over the world and and countries and um, and then constantly tour in the States. I wasn't home half the time and I didn't like my apartment that much in Los Angeles. I was living in Koreatown um, and I said, fuck this. And I just threw everything into storage again. But this time I got rid of all my furniture. Yeah, so you literally Comedians, for 10 years had no home. No home for 10 years. Comedians that I knew needed things, like you need a TV, you need a coffee table. I gave, I just really crunched it down to my most important possessions, which are my book collection, which is like 2,000 books, uh, my CD collection, which is like a couple thousand CDs, and my vinyl records. And then um, photos and family, family photos, career um, trinkets, things like that. So for 10 years, I just traveled the world with no address, no home. And I would do uh, th three or four months a year in Europe, uh, you know, do a month in Australia, a month in Asia, six months all over the States. My wife's been with me for eight years. Yeah, so for eight years, she traveled the world with you. Yeah. No, no home. Everywhere, yeah. And she decided she was down with that life. Never she once, yeah. she never once was like, "I'd love to be able to just go. We're home." No, man, we loved it. And she's a photographer, and her thing is street photography. So, she's done really great work all over the world in our travels. And, you know, the fact that one year ago we got an apartment, it was really interesting to get everything out of storage and see what I've been holding on to for all these years. But we're both really cracked up by the real simple pleasures of having a home, like uh, having a sock drawer and having condiments and spices and, yeah, that and type things of shit. like that. Just the real simple things. Yeah, so... You might have to circle around. 
No, no, yeah, we're good. You, you know, you, I got all that. I got all the sort of what are we going to do side of things in terms of the drive. Okay. Uh, there are a few Uber spots where these guys hang out. Okay, good. I thought that was one there. That's why I did a sort of a half pull in and then a... To let the listener know we are now we, at JFK. We've right? arrived too quickly. and not. Ju- I mean, as far as the chat goes, I could call it a day on the chat. We have enough, but you've got a, a boring three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I won't leave you hanging too quick. Yeah, you know? don't drop me off. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> yeah. ready. I'm just getting, you're, you're just getting warmed up <laughs> on my life li- philosophy. You're literally not ready to get out of yeah. the car. I don't want people, I don't want the listener to think I still want to punch God in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but I think that's very clear. You know, I think I think that's clear. You know, I I, I don't think finding a fucking finally having a home is evidence of that, really. But I just think that you know. Well, I can see it in you. I don't know how you can articulate it yourself you know, in terms of what you want these people to know. I'm sure they're not. Well, I'm you know, sure my my, uh, my wife is amazing, and uh, we're really like a mom-and-pop art-making factory. You know, I have my podcast, uh, which she edits. I put out oh, she these, edits it. Uh. I put out these weekly videos called Knowledge Nuggets. They're little, you know, interesting things people should know. Uh, that I try and make funny. She films them and does the graphics on them. Um, you know, uh, I, I've, I've written a book. It's taken me five years. It's about my life as a comedian and everything I've experienced. You know, I was maced in Paris. I almost drowned in Thailand. Having the late night talk show in Amsterdam. Um, I've experienced a few things. So, oh, you, so you wrote a book about it all? So I wrote a book. So now I've finished the first draft and I've gone back to the beginning and I'm trying to cut off the fat and make it presentable and hopefully that will come out next year and I've almost got my my new hour so I can film my next Netflix special next year oh so, and the, now when you say so you I fil- feel like the fact that we, we've we, we've moved into this apartment and uh my wife being such a, a great artistic person herself that um I've never been more fruitful and productive. And the fact that we've we've got a home now and I'm only traveling half the time, which is a real luxury as a comedian, um, I'm getting a lot of shit done. So you are feeling the benefit of not being as... Yeah, because so much was, was uh, energy was dedicated to logistics. Yeah, traveling, having to pack hotels. Every week, and... Having to do laundry every week, book flights, make flights... Yeah, uh, you know, book hotels, you know, contacting people about gigs, and you know who's going to pick you up, and 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 then and then you go to a city, and then there's a you know new group of comedian friends to hang out with because I've been everywhere and been a comedian for so long. Every city, you know, I'm going to Ireland. Loads of social Every, everybody at that festival, you know, ninety percent of them, I'm already friends with the comedians that are there. It's going to be great all week, but. Um, you know when yeah but you end up with no time for yourself right yeah that was the point yeah i mean i, mean, I can see that so uh, have you felt have you felt sort of inspired by comedically have you felt inspired by married life and you know this type of love you know that sort of you got that new love it's not that uh you got that real love you know the partnership you know you yeah. you've really got that going on have have you have you found a way to make that funny to a little bit. I should I I should be talking about my wife more probably, but um, well, I'm sure she's happy that you don't talk about it too much. Yeah. Um, 
but just, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 different. Not I'm 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 easing into this next phase of my life. Um, uh, I think happy and and stronger than I was before. And is it rude to ask about kids or is that? No, I want to have a kid. Oh, you uh, do? Yeah, totally. Program a little robot with all my socialist. Um, you know. Yeah, because that's always a weird one where you know people feel like it's incomplete if you don't have one. You know, I'd like to, but I told my wife if it doesn't happen, I wouldn't be that heartbroken, and that I, yeah. I'm, I would just be grateful that I have her. Yeah, well, that's. I told her that, and well, she was very pleased. Is that more tears? Ah, uh, she, she, <laughs> she got a little misty. She, um, because she's thirty-seven. You know, she needs uh, to have a kid in the next couple oh, of years. Right. Oh, so you guys and are trying? She's not. No, she's like. She's just starting to be open to the idea. Oh, right. Okay. So, but yeah. we're both loving our life so much that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's I, a weird it, one, it, isn't it? It's a weird one where you go, I'd love to have a kid, but if we didn't, it's okay. But then you just wonder, will your life be unfulfilled if you don't? You know, like, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one. Like, I have it myself. Right. And then the kid turns, like, 13, and he starts calling you, you know, saying, fuck you, and, you know gonna challenge you on thanksgiving over the last scoop of mashed potatoes or some shit yeah well you know. there's that and you gotta fight <laughs> that's him a, that's a very negative both of my brothers fought my dad on the front yard oh really yeah i mean yeah it, but i mean it seems could, like a rite of passage i guess you could you could try to not create that sort of I, I mean i think i maybe we've moved on a bit in terms of maybe maybe it won't be as adversarial but you know when you raise your kid in that modern way where they're fine like your best friend rather than your son yeah, I don't know. I, I, if I could have half the relationship with a kid as I had with my dad, yeah. I, would, I would be the happiest guy in the world. Yeah, because I mean, that's when I started. Re I mean, I've always been kind of broody, but when after my dad died, you know, like that was the time where I was broodiest. You know, because you see, I listen, I, I can see it. My friends have kids. You know, you can see the, the innate sense of this being what you should be doing. But on the flip side, you know, I, I, I'm curious because I, I like I don't know, but I, I wonder, can you feel like at the end of it all, like Jack Nicholson, he never had a kid, <laughs> you know, at the end of it all, would you feel like this is a full life? Because some people can. I would. Kids. You know, yeah. I mean, I love spending my money on on nice clothes and travel. Yeah. And a kid would fuck that up. He would fuck. And that we've up. talked about she. it extensively. My wife and I It's like, well, you know, we could continue to enjoy our lives and I don't know how I mean my wife loves Los Angeles I always hated Los Angeles now I really like it oh you do because I'm with her and then also the the comedy scene there is is it's the golden age of comedy in Los Angeles mm. right now just with like, the amount of great talented people that at the are there? comedy store man every night it's uh you know Chappelle when he's in town Bill Burr uh Stanhope when he's in town Louis CK when he's in town uh, Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, Ari Schaefer, just so many brilliant, great comedians every night of the week. And uh, um, it, it's, it's, it's really inspiring and exciting. Is Ari, is Ari in that? Is Ari in that group now? Well, I like Ari. I, I do too. He's like on tonight Ari. in the cellar. I'm on with him yeah. tonight in the cellar. And I like him a lot. I did his podcast. But I was shocked to hear him in that. Okay, well, I, I like him as a human. That's good. I, hey, I like it. I'm going to tell I, him. I, I, I'm going to tell I, him the company you just no, put him I, in. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his comedy. So um, uh, it's just, I think, 
I always thought there was some cream puff bullshit comedy in Los Angeles, and I always loathed it and thought it was full of phony, fake fucking people. But now I'm actually enjoying it. Uh, but, you know, when I lived there before, I was single and trying to date uh, some of those numbskulls. Yeah, you were in that? You were trying to be I'm, part of that? Now I'm older. I've got a great wife, partner, teammate. And um, being old is the best, man. Being older is the best. It's the fucking best. That's the one thing. Talking to John Bishop about it, man. The fucking the the lack of neediness that comes with being older is fucking awesome. I wish I could have been older when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> I just I like me now. I yeah. tell you, for a lot of years, I I, I don't I don't you, you know I don't know I yeah I that was confused about that issue. I know. Now you, I'm not. You, you, I, I I love who I am. I love my life. I got a lot of respect from people, and I am invited to do great comedy gigs all over the world. Yeah. So uh, I I, I want to do more television. I want to I want places to be sold out and packed, full of excited people. Uh, wherever I play, I'm still trying to reach that level. But you know, you I had wanna... you had some sort of you had almost like a bit of a sort of a spiritual rock bottom with what you went through. Have you ever thought of trying to write? That show, you know, that show. That yes. I'm trying to figure out how much of that for my next special, like maybe adding a little more one-man show element to it yeah. and, and talking about those things. I mean, it has to be funny, but at the same time, there's, you know, that's a real, you know, if, if, if somebody wants to tell that story, the Tony Robbins, you know, like if somebody wants to tell the story, like that was, that was a bottom, man. That was low. Yeah. So you have that. That's, you're right. It was a spiritual bottom. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way you you describe it in real spiritual terms. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, 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 it's not about AA. I don't mean it in like AA is the thing that people should do. Uh, but the the basic thing that those guys figured out in those early days was whether you believe in God or not, you have to accept that th this is that this is spiritual bankruptcy. You got to find yeah. something else, or other, otherwise you're out true you know and for some reason with the booze it's very hard to find it while you're still drinking it yeah it's odd i never knew that before because i always thought partying was part of it because all my early heroes were like you know Pryor, rodney dangerfield kennison uh you know and rock stars and i just always thought partying was part of it but i think as a comedian now you can't just do jokes you have to also have a story Mm. If you really want to, you know, and what's amazing when I tell stories on stage afterwards, people always come up to me, and go, oh, my God, I love that story. It's almost like I'll have jokes that get bigger laughs, but like stories about my real life always seem to touch people uh, more powerfully than than a, a, a really funny joke. Yeah, well, it's really odd in America about the way they almost kind of classify them as two separate things, telling a story or doing stand up. It's like, well. We don't classify it on the other side of the Atlantic, but for some reason here, it seems to be like one or the other in people's minds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, my wife is from Holland, and the Dutch comedians do like the English comedians do, uh, and and you know, Irish as well. The where they they write one man shows where yeah. there's a theme and there's you know, I mean, I love jokes. I love being funny. I love wrecking the place. I like, yeah. I like fucking wrecking the place. That's why it's great to come to New York and do these 15 minute sets at the cellar. Well, at the cellar where it's buzzing. And stuff. You know, it, the great thing about the cellar is not only is it a 15 minute spot, but it's fucking kicking. Yeah. It's pumping. Yeah. 
People are excited to be there. Oh man, for their comedy experience. Um, I mean, I'm getting fucked up now because, like, you know, I've been gigging a lot in the cellar, and I'm going back to Ireland now on November sixth. And don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to going back to Ireland. But man, I am nicely settled in here. Yeah. I'd gladly have a good whack of a couple of years of fucking doing that. Well, now it's you got exciting. Gotta, now you have to unfurl the accordion. You've mashed it in, and now you got to pull it out. Yeah, well, it's fine, but it is. Ex- I have to say that what you're talking about is exciting. You know that sense of going out three, three, four times a night and fucking killing it. <laughs> yeah, I did six sets last night, and six sets Friday, five sets Thursday, four on Wednesday. It's been it's been so exciting. Yeah, and you go from. You know, lo- only London and New York are like that, where you know you 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 go on stage, you know, and you, uh, you know fucking kill or whatever, and then you get off and you have to immediately hustle to another to another place, place. and yeah. there's like no room for error. You're in a taxi and the lights. It happened to me twice this week. You know, the trying to get to the the the, the cellar. We got to the village and there's a bunch of traffic and construction and I had to jump out of the taxi. Oh, I done, I've done and it. Fucking run. Run. I ran the ten other night. Blocks. <laughs> and I got there and I'm like just covered in sweat <laughs> and out of breath. And they introduced me and you know, hello. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good to be here. I don't like it as a performance energy. Actually, some years ago That's I used fucking to fucking commitment, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Years ago I used to think it, it added to the performance, the hyperness of it. But nowadays, actually, I I've noticed that when I'm really in a rush and I have to just jump on stage, I I'm not as sharp. P- personally, for me, like in that scenario you just described. Right. And I've had it. I had it a couple of times this week. The fucking, you know, in the New York traffic, and you're just like, you know, you're just like fucking move. And then it's like there's nothing. No one's going anywhere. There's nothing you can do. They're yeah. not late. It's fucking stressful. But it's exciting. You know, it is different. Um, anyway, I mean that that's it. Really, I was just there was one other thing I was going to ask you. Now it's oh, sorry, it's an indulgence really for my listeners because yeah. I know Irish people. I mean, I, there's more than just Irish people listening, but the majority are Irish people. They're quite Thank obsessed. Thank you, Ireland, for being so good to me. They're quite obsessed with the American election over there. Have Why you, wouldn't they be? It's going to affect the whole world. Yeah. So, have you have have you have you been inspired at all by the chaos of it, or are you just like me, just kind of like In- I, inspired? I don't know. I mean, like um, I, I've had thoughts and jokes about it, but um, you know, like at the comedy store in L.A. after the second debate, I was going to do a set, and then. I watched every comedian go on and talk about it. And I thought, well, fuck, I'm not going to mention it. Yes. And then and then here also in New York, I've seen it, you know every comedian talk about it. And it's like, well, the topic has been beaten to fucking death. Yeah, I mean, I don't do it for that reason. By the time I've gotten on, uh, on the short set. But when I'm headlining and doing an hour, yes, I'm talking about it. Um, y- you know, I was terrified that the, 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 the orange menace was going to win this fucking thing. I was too. Uh, but thankfully he has capitulated, uh, the, him not paying taxes for 18 years. That was, I started to breathe a little easier. And then the grabbing the pussy gift, yeah. um, that kind of destroyed him completely. I think he, well, his reaction particularly destroyed him. Yeah. The, they, the women weren't uh, attractive yeah, And the enough. lack of contrition was, look at, look at her, please. I can do better than that. Yeah. He's just. But trust me, she would not be my first choice. 
Well, I mean, and, and you know, my family are all hardcore Christian Republicans. They're still voting for Trump. I had an Orthodox Jewish Uber driver in Los Angeles who told me a vote against Trump is a vote against Israel. So, like, a lot of Orthodox people feel that way. Really? And I said, how would you feel? How did you, how did you feel? It's worth, it, it, the guy, the guy drove me to my apartment, and we sat out front and talked for a half hour. We're having such a deep conversation. And I said, well, okay. As a Jewish person, how would you feel about voting for a guy who has demonized an entire religion or race of people the way he's done with the Muslims? And, and the guy goes, the Muslims have demonized themselves. Oh, of course he said that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in Chicago two weeks ago, and I had a, uh Uber driver who was an older Cambodian man, um, maybe late 60s, early 70s, and I... I said, where are you from? He goes, Cambodia. And I go, oh my God, I love Cambodia. I went to the temples of Angkor two years ago. One of my lifelong dreams to go to the temples of Angkor. I love Cambodia. When was the last time you were there? And the guy goes, I haven't been back to Cambodia since Pol Pot killed my entire family. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm glad I brought that up. I'm glad I brought up my backpacking experience. Yeah. Well, I go, my dad was killed by a drunk driver. <laughs> 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 he, he said uh he goes um he goes it was terrible they killed all the intellectuals they yeah. killed they killed people that wore glasses year zero because they were worried about um anyone um you know anyone with intelligence anyone with any going kind of against intelligence. This, this new and he said he swam across the mekong river and he lived in vietnam for seven years and he said the the communists were were even worse he said it was terrible living under a one-party system. You couldn't, he said people were afraid to have their own opinions about anything. It was, you know, to appear like you weren't for the party. And then later in the conversation I said, who are you going to vote for? And he goes, Trump, of course. They, but it's funny that you mentioned that because I just read a piece in the Times today about uh, something that happened at a Trump rally and a, a Vietnamese immigrant, you know, refugee from the, the war years. They're all for Trump. Because they are so anti-communist, and they they all leaned into the Republican Party in the Reagan years because he was so against communism. Yeah. So that 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 whole group is for Trump, which is odd because you should would... watch Narcos. How they were so against the communists, they let all the 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 drug cartels do whatever the fuck they wanted because they were oh yeah. they're not commie. Oh, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, that that time. Um, but you know, for a lot of these people, it just comes down to these core issues. The fact that Trump is anti-abortion, wants to get rid of Roe v. Wade. He's against health care. He's going to kill Obamacare. And um, he's anti-immigration and he's pro-gun. Yeah. So just as Trump could slice up a fucking baby on Broadway and eat it and still be forgiven as long as he's going to protect those core conservative those, things, those policies of the Republican Party, which... Uh, and the, the Republicans are supposed to be the party of the Christians. How can you be against health care? How can you be against a woman having reign over her own body? You know, it, yeah. it, 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 I mean, yes, Hillary is corrupt, but I'll take corruption uh, as long as, you know, uh, a few concessions like fucking health care and abortion and, uh, you know, some... And hum humanity towards people that come here. I mean, yeah. the reality is that 
there's incredible wealth here and people are attracted to it. It's not like, it, they're not horrible people for doing what is essentially the smart thing to do. Yeah. You know, we fucking came here. No, but Trump led- stirred up that whole Alex Jones conservative, uh, yeah. con- conspiracy theory, uh, you know, scumbag element of, I'm from Orlando. I grew up in Orlando. That Pulse gay nightclub shooting disgusted me and broke my heart as it would anyone with a heart and a brain. And I did a benefit in Los Angeles for the victims, uh, like two weeks after the shooting. And I got Bill Burr to do it, Hannibal Burris, Anthony Jeselnik. It was a great show. It was sold out. Uh, some fucking lunatics wrote on my Facebook when I posted about the event, uh, oh, you're having an event for the crisis actors who acted out this uh, fictional drama so that guns could be taken away. Oh, God. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I know. It's I have nuts. gay friends in Orlando that, that, that knew people that were there and murdered, and you're going to tell me they were crisis actors? So it's that kind of, you know, the people who think they... The government was involved on 9-11 yeah, and everything's, uh, that Sandy Hook didn't really happen. You know, yeah. the, those kids being killed, it wasn't uh, that the government, you know, put on a play so they could control guns. That kind of uh, fucking disgusting, delusional element of pond scum is what Trump has stirred up and it's not going to go away after the election. All these white supremacists, all these hate groups... Mm. Yeah, the fear of minorities, fear of the other, is now uh, is very prevalent in our and society. Think, where you, before it stayed in the fucking shadows where it belonged. Yeah, he did give it. He gave it some light. Yeah. Do you think he was aware? Do you, do you think he's actually aware of? What of he's course, doing? yes. Yeah, no. I think it was, um, you know, part of the game plan all along. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, I'm I'm just happy that he seems to be brushed to the side. But long term, I am concerned. I mean, I really do blame the internet, but. I am concerned that there's too 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 many dangerous people have, have, are now united and and feel like they have a voice and that. Well, the funny thing is, is I think we're going to look back on the Bush years as a very sentimental time. Remember how everyone thought Bush was so evil? Yeah. With the Iraq War, I think we're going to look back on those times as the good old days and go, "Wow, that guy wasn't fucking evil." The shit that's flourishing now is evil. Yeah, proper evil. But also I think the Trump story is kind of a biblical story. Because here's this rich, wealthy man who had everything he wanted. But greed and wanting more power, I think his brand, hopefully, is ruined forever. Mm. And I personally would like to see his entire empire crumble and his name be taken off uh, all of these buildings. Like the, the skyline of Chicago when you're... On the river, he's fucking Trump, and yeah. you know, and Vegas. Um, I I hope it's a a biblical story of the guy. Um, Isn't there? There's a Greek. What? What? This swimming too close. The the guy. The what is it? Ithacus. Ithacus. Ithacarus. Something like that. Icarus. 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 That's it. God. Where he flew too I shouldn't close have brought to the up sun. a story that I wouldn't be able to speak with authority on. That's good. I and then there you. was the other one with the dog and the bone and the the dog, the dog with the bone and. Sees his reflection in the water, and he wants more. And he drops his bone. Yeah, and he drops his bone. I mean, I don't think that was Greek mythology, though. Not that one, no. The first <laughs> one was Icarus. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, 
But he's just a total narcissist anyway. The guy grew up in marble penthouses in Manhattan. Well, he grew, up in, J- he grew up in fucking Jamaica States, about two miles from where I grew up. But Yeah, and, but there's, and, a, and then, there's a great PBS documentary called Frontline about the election, and they show... He went to military school when he was a kid, yeah. and they had hazing, and he was hazed when he was a freshman, but they said that he was one of the few students that loved it. He loved being a cock and torturing people. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, and something Richard Branson just came out on an interview last week and said that he had lunch with Trump years ago, and he was just, all he talked about was these, it was during the years where he had some bankruptcies, and there were like six bankers that wouldn't give him loans, and he and and Branson said that, he was just obsessed with wanting revenge on these people. Yeah, but he and clearly he said, he, is a he, vengeful guy. He would spend the rest of his life, you know, trying to fuck these people. Yeah, spiteful And that's bastard. the kind of, you know, spite and hate and uh, just uh, the, uh, the prevalence of being a cock. Yeah, that's in him. And that's the thing that is so funny to me because it's so believable that he would have done all these things to all these women. Like, yeah. you see Selma Hayek came out and said that, like, he fucked with her in the National Enquirer because she wouldn't yeah. sleep with him. Like, he has all that in him. Yeah. Like, a horrible, horrible guy. I mean, I feel bad for his family. I mean, his sons his sons seem to be dicks just like him, but I feel bad for his daughter. His daughter is clearly, like, an intelligent person. Well, maybe she she'll to, rise up and she'll have yeah, some political career in the future. Yeah, Who but knows? she has to defend but, him. At, but, but not him. Not him. Not after everything he's done demonizing Mexican people, demonizing Muslims, um, stirring up, calling our elections rigged. Yeah, that's Questioning crazy. the whole system. So now it's given legitimacy to these conspiracy theory nutbags who can all say, yeah, everything's a yeah, fucking everything's rigged. scam and the government, the, the Illuminati, you know. Uh, he, MSM. He, he, he opened up this Pandora's box. It's so and, easy. You know, and to- fuck him. Yeah, he's a troll. Fuck him forever. Oh yeah, you know it. Is that a good finish? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I Hillary definitely. Look, uh, Hillary's corrupt, but I Hillary really, I really don't, be, I don't think but, she's more corrupt. Like, I, I, I think she gets a harder time than than other politicians because she's I, really just as corrupt as the rest of them. I exactly, and I, I think, uh, you know, as Bill Hicks said, all governments are lying cocksuckers, but. She might be corrupt, but at least humanity would uh, benefit more from her presidency uh, with, you know, women's rights, um, you know, healthcare. minorities flourishing, health care for all, uh, us not being. And I hope did she, like in and, and Trump standing there in that debate saying that he was going to get a special prosecutor to like, yeah, uh, you know, for her emails be in jail. and he's going to jail. You'd be in jail that I hope she remembers that moment. And I hope she closes all those loopholes for all those rich corporate cocksuckers, mm. and uh, and and that, like she said, that she would build out the middle class from the yeah. from the well, middle the, out. The thing is, will she do that? I mean, that's the Bernie people are saying. Why are you deluding yourselves? We had a chance to go for real change, but you I went would for rather Hillary. take her lie than his lie. Hillary versus Trump. You just, I mean, they 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 both might be lying, but yeah. I'm, I'm willing oh, yeah. well, to drink her Kool Aid. Uh, but it, I'm a lifelong liberal. My family are all hardcore Republicans. They call me Tommy the Commie in my family. <laughs> uh, I've always been the left-wing liberal. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm always of that slant. But that PBS Frontline documentary 
they showed, they have a theory, the moment Trump decided to run for president... Was when Obama fucking killed Roasted him. him. I knew it! When, I, I haven't when, seen that, but I've always Obama thought that. When Obama roasted him at that correspondence dinner, they showed him sitting there and he's seething. He's fucking seething. And they said that was the fucking moment he decided but to But you know what's president. so great about all this? I was thinking about this the other day. So, so a black man fucking caused him to want to become a president because he was belittled by a black guy must have fucking killed him yeah and now he has been like hillary wiped the floor with him at those debates. right and such it a misogynistic be, yeah. man for him be to be him. beaten by a woman would be poetic justice oh poetic justice. uh i was hanging out with dave chappelle the other night and we were talking about it and he said that um it's it's like the incredibles the the, the cartoon the cartoon with the Obama family being like the superheroes, and then there's the one that's rejected who comes back to try and destroy the yeah. family. Yeah, I mean, because the, the Obama, yeah, whatever. I mean, he's done a he's done a decent job. And I think Obama will be remembered as one of the greatest presidents ever. Yeah, you know, he he repaired our 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 destroyed, broken economy. And then uh, Trump just sits there and is like, "This, I mean, you know, another, you know, four years of this would be a disaster. I mean, our country's destroyed." And it's like, it's not what you say. It's not destroyed. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not what he says. But anyway, he's not going to be elected. That's. I mean, everything now. See, oh God, if he if he did get elected, I'd have to eat my words. But oh God, I mean, I just can't see it. Happening. I couldn't imagine living. In, yeah. And the but I think is, the Republican Party is. Uh, going to implode. I think tr Trump is in danger of losing Texas. I know. I don't know if Trump, if Texas has ever gone blue. But what, what is incredible is it may be the biggest landslide for a Democrat ever, and Hillary is the least popular candidate. Yeah. The Democrats have ever put forward. But she's a world leader, and yeah. she's like Madonna. She would be able to get any world leader, including Muslim world leaders, on the phone. Yeah. Trump. Who's going to take that fucking asshole's phone call? Yeah, I mean, he's, is, is he going to get uh, the king of Jordan or, or Saudi Arabia on the phone? Uh, you know, no, but he's been found out. I mean, the main thing is he's been found out. He's not qualified for the job. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. I mean, he can't even. Did you see him at that uh, that Catholic thing where they were roasting each other? He can't even fucking read. I think that's part of the reason why, I mean, this is kind of like insulting, but I think part of the reason why he doesn't use a teleprompter is actually he's a terrible reader. I was watching him read. He literally struggles with the reading, wow. which is not a problem. I mean, maybe he's dyslexic. I don't want to make fun of the guy if he has like a learning disorder. But like, he just repeats he, things over and over. Yeah, he literally I'm a big, is, big fan. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's a disaster. The worst. It's a disaster. <laughs> it's the worst. I know you're from New York, so don't take this the wrong way. But I grew up in Florida with a lot of asshole hump New York people retired who, who had retired and moved down there. <laughs> That's what a Trump presidency would be like. The fucking asshole New Yorker yeah, sure. who couldn't make it in New York, who moves to Florida and opens a deli in a mini mall yeah. and thinks, oh, yeah, fucking New York's the greatest. This place is bullshit. Horrible. With that, that Horrible. Yeah, it's a good description. I mean, he's from Queens. I hear myself in his voice. I think something. if the Cubs win the World Series, because Hillary's from suburban Chicago, that would be a, a great omen for her winning. Yeah, well, it'll be only a few days difference. But anyway, listen, I'm going to drop you off. You've got to... Thanks, Des. We need to go to Terminal 4 now. Terminal please. 4, please. So thanks to Tom, and thanks to you, the listener. Uh, great chat, long chat. Tom's a great guy. Uh, check out his stuff on Facebook, on Twitter. He's been putting up these videos. He has his podcast. And, of course, go see him 
uh, at the Galway Comedy Festival this week. He'll be in Ireland. Um, I don't have much else to say. Uh, I'll be back in Ireland in two weeks. I've got tons of gigs coming up, okay? So for New Yorkers, I'm on at the New York Comedy Festival, Caroline's Thursday and Friday night next week, the 3rd and the 4th. Tickets available for that. Then I'm back in Ireland, and I'm doing the last leg of the Grey Matters Tour. Starts in McCroom, um, and I'm in tons of places. I'm in Kells. I'm in Bray. I'm in Extra Dayton Navin. I'm in Blanchardstown. Look, go to desbishop.net. Go to the gig section. All the dates are up there. Uh, And then uh, I'm back doing four episodes of that. Uh, It's called This Is Ireland, but it's uh, based on that election special that I did. So anyway, look, a lot coming up, guys. So go to desbishop.net. Check out my dates. But for New Yorkers, a week and a half till my New York Comedy Festival shows, go check that out. And uh, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, I did a great chat with Mo Amr, which will be out next week, a... Kuwaiti-born Palestinian who had to leave Kuwait because Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait in 1990 and uh, so, or 1991, and uh, that is super interesting chat. I actually did, I talked to Mo before I chatted to Tom, but he wanted to make sure that, because we talked about the Palestinian question and he just wanted to listen back because it's... uh, it's a sensitive subject, so waiting for approval on that. But uh, that should entice you because he's a super interesting guy. And it will not be the last time he's on the Des Bishop podcast because our interview took place in between shows, in between seller shows. So we were restricted for time. And I have 100 million more questions for Mo. So make sure you're back for that. And uh, yes, thank you so much. Tweet me at Des Bishop, facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop, Instagram Des Bishop, and Snapchat Des Buffer. Looking for some feedback, guys. Always looking for feedback. Thank you so much for all your support, and we will chat soon. Have a good day, evening, week, month, whenever you're listening to this. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.